And I would invite you, if you haven't done so already, as Jason said, Philippians chapter 4, just at the outset here, looking at one verse together, which for many of you will be familiar, and perhaps you have even committed it to memory. Chapter 4, verse 4, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Philippi and to us, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is the word of God, and it's for us today, written to a particular people and reaching to all believers after this. And we pick up so many things from the book of Philippians, and one of the first things that we saw going through this book in the first week was how many power verses there are throughout this letter. How many verses that are contained in here that we have committed to memory, and rightfully so, because they help us in our everyday situations that get us through hard times. This verse is one of those in particular. I remember as a kid growing up in church, we used to sing this verse in a round in Sunday school. The boys would start over here, and the, the Sunday school teacher would direct it, rejoice in the Lord always. And then the girls would come in and sing the same thing, and afterwards the Sunday school teacher said, wow, that was beautiful, children. And I would leave that Sunday school class, and I had this verse committed to memory, but it wasn't committed to my heart. And perhaps... Some of that is because of youth, and I didn't really understand what the verse actually meant, but I'm afraid as a church today, we have many of these committed to memory, but not committed to our lives. And so many of us, we look at these verses and think, wow, that's a nice idea, or that's a nice thing to say, Paul, but we don't see these as actually, actual commands that God has laid out for us in order to follow that these commands are meant to be lived out, and when we do live them out, we experience the joy of following Christ. And so Paul is calling them here to live out this joy that he has experienced. And isn't that what every human heart longs for? Joy. Joy, no matter what the circumstance when the parade is canceled, and even you see behind me putting the rain boots on and still going out and jumping in the puddles that isn't held captive to what's going on in our lives, but a deep-seated gladness in our souls. Well, Paul is beginning this new section as he begins to wrap up this letter. A man named Harmon points out to us to, to draw in further application of what Paul has already taught from the main part of this letter. He now gives us a series of commands in rapid succession. Seven imperatives that show what the life of a believer looks like that is governed by the gospel. And so I want to submit to us this morning three commands for every believer. And we're reminded of the fact in 1 John 5, 3, it says, loving God means we keep his commands. If we love him, we'll do what he says, but we're left with this. His commands are not burdensome. They aren't there just for us to do. They're for a purpose, and they're for our good and our joy. So our first command this morning is simply, Rejoice. Rejoice. That's been the theme of Paul's letter. It's been pervasive throughout this whole thing. 
In chapter one and verse four, Paul says, always in every prayer of mine, all of making my prayer with joy. Verse 18 of that same chapter says, whether in truth or pretense, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Chapter two, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, that is, even if I die, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Chapter two, verse two says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Chapter three, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And now in chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, joy is a noun. The verb of joy is rejoice. So rejoice is to take joy and to live it out, to put it into practice in our lives. James McDonald very helpfully, he defines joy as a supernatural delight in the person of God, that is who he is, and the purposes of God, that is what he is doing. So our rejoicing is found in who God is and what God is doing. So we can conclude this morning, the joy is not natural. It doesn't come naturally. For us, when we face a hard situation, our natural reaction is to complain, to grumble about it. So joy is therefore supernatural. It's a thing that is given to us by God as one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. All who know Christ are indwelled with the Spirit of God, and the defining characteristics of them will be those characteristics of love, joy. So let me submit to you this morning that joy it's one of the defining marks of the believer in Christ. Your life as a believer, my life as a believer should be characterized and defined by joy. Now joy is a deep feeling in your soul that God is in control. But it's not merely a feeling. Sometimes it's a resolve a choice, I must choose joy. It's not an emotion, but it should bring about emotion. Did you catch that? If you're a Christian, what's inside, if you have true joy, should bubble out. Joy should be coming out of our lives if we are believers in Christ. But Paul qualifies where this joy is to be found. I mean, this verse would be absolutely horrible if all it was was rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. But Paul doesn't say that's all it is. He qualifies what the source of our, or our footing is, where our feet are grounded in joy. Have you ever been on a slippery situation that you've been standing on? Your feet on ice or anything like that? This morning, walking out to the car, getting in, and I'm sliding everywhere. It was almost a complete biff where everything went flying in the air, but I was able to catch myself. Maybe you can uh, relate with this clip. Rejoicing is impossible without sure footing or a source of your joy. Think about that guy inside that polar bear suit. He's thinking, okay, I'm getting paid for this. I've fallen six times now. All I have to do is walk out on that ice and this thing's done. But the problem isn't his determination. It's his footing. 
He's wearing flat rubber soled boots inside a mascot suit. That's the issue. It's not his determination. And when we think about joy being not a natural thing, but a supernatural thing, it's not something that could be done in our own willpower. It's the focus has to be on the source or our footing where we are standing. So the command here is rejoice, and then Paul qualifies where the rejoicing is to take place in the Lord. Not trying to walk in flat shoes on ice, but digging our cleats in deep to the promises of God, who he is and what he is doing. My rejoicing is rooted and grounded in, the God, in, in God and who he is. Well, who is he? Let me tell you a little bit this morning. He is the one with no beginning and no end. He's the creator of all things. He's the holy one. He's the source of joy. He's the source of love. The one who knows all things from beginning to end, and he brings them about. Who takes counsel from no one. Who swears only by himself because there's no one who is greater than him. He's a jealous God. Jealous for his people. He's the protecting God. He's the savior. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the God of all comfort. He's our refuge, and he's our friend. That's who he is, and so much more. Well, what is he doing, Brad? He's sustaining the world by the word of his power while you sleep at night. He's giving you strength. He's accomplishing his purposes in the world. He's saving people. He's working together all things for good to those who love him, who are called by his purpose. So it's not by our willpower that we rejoice, but by God's power that enables us to rejoice in him. If the foundation of your joy is unshakable, then it can never, your joy can never be taken away. And you can be unshakable in any circumstance if it's rooted in the right place. So I had the opportunity uh, to go with my parents just before I was in middle school on a conference. And all my brothers and sisters were busy that week with different stuff that was going on during the summertime, and they were out of town. And my parents said, you're going to go with us on this conference, but we want you to know if you're going to go with us, we expect obedience, right? If you have kids, you've had that conversation before, right? Well, the reason we had that conversation was because I was known for disobedience, and mom said, it's going to be awesome. It's in a place that everybody desires to go to a conference to, Toledo, Ohio, right? And we're going to be staying in a hotel. There's going to be a pool. And I thought, ooh, well, wait, stop right there. You don't have to say anything else, mom. If there is a pool, that's all I need. Nothing else matters. And it really didn't. I was the most joyous, most obedient kid. We traveled from Des Moines to Toledo, a very long drive. And my parents loved at the time the restaurant Boston Market. Anybody remember Boston Market? It's a total old people restaurant, right? And it's where stuff's been sitting out forever. Stuff that's not supposed to be meant to be fast food. They tried to make it fast food. And I absolutely despised it. But mom and dad said, how about Boston Market, Brad? And I said, sounds wonderful. Would you like to go antiquing afterwards? And I, you know, I saw a, a candle store. Maybe we'd go back to him. We could just follow mom. And she walks around and smells them all, right? It didn't matter. I was up for anything. Why? Because I was anticipating the joy that was to come. So our first command is rejoice. 
Our second command is rejoice. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Paul says just in case you missed it, I don't want you to think, I want you to think that I was serious because I am. I want you to have joy. Now that he's given us a where to rejoice, he gives us a when to rejoice. So the command is rejoice. The question is when, and the answer is always. When, always, in every circumstance. When it snows again. When you win a game. When you lose a game. When you get a new car. When your car breaks down. When you have a child or a grandchild. When you're struggling with infertility. When you're sad. When you're happy. When you're defeated. Paul says, rejoice always. When you're lonely, rejoice. When you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning because there's so much stress in your home, stress at work, rejoice. But do you say, Paul, don't you know what I'm going through? Perhaps the people in Philippi would ask that question, really to rejoice in every instance, in every circumstance. Well, let's just remind ourselves where Paul is at while he's writing this. He's under house arrest in Rome. Can't leave. Not to mention all the different things that he was going to face for his faith in Christ and then dying as a martyr. Paul knows what it's like to go through hard times and yet he still says, rejoice in the Lord. Imitate me in this. I'm modeling this for you. I've experienced the joy of it even in trial. James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do you really have to enjoy trials? That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not, or James isn't saying enjoy trials, but he says consider them as joy. So James is more saying how to fe- not how to feel in a trial, but what to think about them. Rejoicing does not mean that your trials are enjoyable, okay? It's not about putting on a plastic face, acting like everything's fine, acting like this is a great joy for you to go through these things, but in the midst of them, you have joy because of what you know this bringing about. Because you know that in this meantime, if I allow it, I can draw closer to Christ through this trial. It's producing in me perseverance. It's causing me to grow up in Christ and to be more mature in him. Sam Albury says, James is talking about being formed as a Christian in trial, growing into the very people we were born and saved to be. And this is only possible if the source and the grounding of your joy is found in the Lord. If it's found in anything else, you will not be able to have joy in your circumstances. You will be instead held captive by your circumstances. You will be held defeated by your circumstances. When you face family issues, if your, your joy is built around that, it will be gone. If it's built around your health, your wealth, your sports team, your relationships, a career, if you have anything else that your joy is based on, any of those things and more, when it's taken away, so will your joy be. When you hit your head, you'll be robbed of joy. That I mean hitting your head, literally. It's amazing 
uh, when you preach through a passage, how often before you actually preach it, you get to practice it. I was in, the rest, in, the, in our bathroom at home, and I reached down to grab something on the floor, and I stood up really quick and jacked my head right against the door frame. I don't know how it happened, but it did, okay? And I don't know about you, but if you get hit in the head, like, I instantly get mad. Like, I'm just ticked in that moment. And all of a sudden, like, in my mind, my vocabulary expands, and I have all these new words in there that weren't in there about four seconds before that. And I wanted to just like, in anger, just yell out what I was feeling in that moment. And then the Holy Spirit brought something, a new word to my mind. He said, rejoice. And I looked at that and I thought, this is an opportunity for me to rejoice. Not to say that I enjoy hitting my head. But it's better to rejoice in Christ than to give in to sin. It's better to rejoice in Christ even when it hurts, literally in this situation, because this is what God calls us to do. But if we're not grounded in Christ, we'll never be able to do that. So we showed up at that Radisson Hotel at the conference I was at in Toledo. And we walk up to the door and everybody's bringing in their luggage and dad is talking at the front desk about different things. And the guy's saying, you're on the eighth floor, bada bada, breakfast is at this time. And I'm like, dad, I've been putting up with Boston Market, antiquing, candles. Can you please just ask the guy where the pool is? He said, shut, stop, stop. I'll ask him in just a second. Dad, ask the guy where the pool is. And the guy behind the counter hears me, and he turns to me, and he goes, oh, son, I'm sorry. There is no pool. <laughs> what? He said, but there's a hot tub on the eighth floor. I said, I can't swim in a hot tub. I'll burn my eyes out. Right? <laughs> How do you think I was the rest of that week? Terrible, awful, so disobedient. And I, learned, I found out that Toledo was not that fun, all right? But why? Because my joy, everything that I was looking forward to had been stripped away. It was all gone. I was held captive by my circumstances. Now, some of you have had some hard circumstances in your life right now. And we don't want to downplay any of those. Some of you are, are struggling. It's hard. Perhaps it's like this how the prophet Habakkuk describes in chapter 3. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is saying, when everything is stripped away, I still have my Savior. God is in control. My circumstances have changed, but my God has not. Jesus has not left me. That is where my joy is found. Therefore, no one can rob me of my joy. If you can't take Jesus away and that's where your joy is, no one can steal your joy. That's what he tells his disciples in John 17. Piper tells us the experience that, that he's talking about here is humanly impossible. No ordinary person can speak in truth like this. If God is enough when all else is lost. It's a miracle of God's grace. Rejoicing is not natural. 
It's supernatural. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit of God to be able to rejoice in the worst cases, in the hardest times. And the Bible actually allows us to live in this tension. It's not a matter of, oh, I had to act like everything is fine, but the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. Life is difficult right now, but inside my soul is an assurance that God is working for my good, and in that I rejoice. And so you're here today. Keep fighting for joy. Resolve to fight for joy when you do not feel like it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Put to death sin that will rob you of joy and fight for it in every circumstance, in all things. Rejoice. So we are to rejoice where? In the Lord. Rejoice when? Always. Let's look at verse five at our third command. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Thirdly, be gentle. The ESV translates this as reasonableness, but most other translations, maybe you have one in front of you, translate it as gentleness. That's because it's a, it's a hard word to translate, and I do think after some study and looking at this that it is, the best way to translate it is gentleness. So Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all. Gentleness is also a fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. So it is not something that might come, that comes naturally to us, but is given to us supernaturally. And isn't it interesting that these are the two marks of Christians that Paul starts out with, joy and gentleness. Is that typically what we're known for? Hughes points out to us that gentleness is the relational quality that joy produces. So if you are a joyful person, naturally going to flow out of that is gentleness. If you find your joy in the Lord, listen to this, your joy in the Lord is going to affect every other area of your life. If it doesn't start with Jesus, the rest of your life is going to suffer. So gentleness flows out of joy. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a wimp, as Carson points out. It doesn't mean you have to have a personality of a wet washcloth. But it is more of a self-effacing, saying, I am going to take the background on this. And I am going to be gentle with everyone. Because the command is gentleness. And who is to be gentle? Christians to everyone. Paul is not just saying those who we like, those who we agree with, or those that we get along with, but be marked by gentleness to every person, Christian or not. Gentleness is the command. Who is to Christians to everyone as well? And the why, lastly, is the Lord is near. Why are we joyful? Why do we pursue gentleness because the Lord is near. That's why. The Lord is near is the link between why we are joyful, why we are gentle, and all the commands that flow out of this flow out of the Lord being near. 
The presence of God is the reason for our joyfulness and gentleness. What am I saying? Is it possible to have true, sustained joy apart from Christ? I mean, don't we are just a part of being humanity? That's who we are. We're resilient. We can be joyful people. Isn't that possible? No. Not long term anyway. Not to rejoice in the way that God demands all the time. I would never live this way, but I do because the Lord is near. So I'm not just a bunch of random particles that came together by chance, but I am living in light before the face of a great creator God who knows me. And because of that, my desire is to rejoice that I have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't have to go through circumstances alone, but with God, so I can have joy, knowing I'm fully accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Isn't proximity awesome sometimes? If you're a runner, you usually run better with those that are running with you because they push you on. If you're working with someone that is uh, highly motivated, it motivates you to keep going. Or a child who's scared at night in the darkness goes into a parent's room, and the darkness doesn't cease to, to be there anymore, but they're able to, able to endure it because of the proximity of a loving parent. This is what Paul, or what Paul is saying. The Lord is near. Take heart in that. Rejoice in that. Secondly, when he's saying the Lord is near, he's saying the return of Christ is at hand. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? He is and it should affect the way that we live right now. Our present behavior should change because of, in light of what is coming. John Wood says, have you ever hoped for something so much that it influenced your, influenced your present behavior? That when we look at the return of Christ, and Paul has already used this as a motivation He's saying the return of Jesus, that one day he is coming back bodily to gather his church, to set up his kingdom, and then make all things new. That should motivate you to live differently. And that should motivate you to joy right now. Whatever you're facing, it's not going to be like this forever because Jesus is returning. So have you ever known someone that had a terrible situation in front of them but because of the hope that they saw beyond it, went through that situation with great joy. I know someone, and you do too. His name is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, the cross was not enjoyable for Jesus, but he took great joy in it. It was the worst suffering in history. He suffered physically. He suffered shame, hanging, hanging naked on a cross, bearing the wrath of God, the sins of humanity. Oh, it was not enjoyable, but it brought Jesus great joy because of the future reward that he would sit and is now seated at the right hand of God. He could endure suffering. And this is the kind of endurance that this is meant for us to see, is that the Lord is near. So it motivates us to joy, to gentleness. 
At the return of Christ, when every trial we've ever endured, these slight momentary afflictions, we'll look back on life and it'll be laughable. Now, some of you in your situation, that's hard to laugh at right now. It's not a laughing matter, but Paul says when you see Jesus, you're going to be so crushed by his glory in such a marvelous way that all that other stuff that you went through, all of it is going to seem so small in comparison to Christ and says, this is your motivation for joy. Right now, this is what you look forward to. So believer, is your life characterized by joy? Ask someone who's close to you this week. Ask them that question and be ready for the answer. Is my life characterized by joy? That's not perfect joy in every instance. It's striving and that joy is flowing out of me. If it was perfect, Jesus didn't need to die. But because he has, I want to live for him. Is your life characterized by joy? And do you want everlasting joy? Are you here this morning and you're searching for that joy that isn't dependent upon your circumstances, that isn't dependent upon what's going on with you? Joy is found in Jesus Christ. Joy is found in knowing him, trusting him, believing in him, that he took your place, that he died and rose again, and experienced the joy of knowing Christ. So won't you trust him today? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Father in heaven, We speak to you now, the source of all joy, the giver of joy. And we want to live out these commands. It's not a good idea or something we're just supposed to do or something we write on our wall, but it's a command from the word of God, rejoice. God, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would rejoice in every circumstance when it's difficult, when it's hard, when we have chronic pain, a loss of a loved one, divorce, depression, a broken relationship, a fight in the home between a child and a parent. There's so many things that are going on in this room, so much struggling, God, would we fight for joy, not by our own willpower or our own might, but by resting, recalling, and thinking about who you are, what you are doing, and what you will do, that you're near. You're near all who call on you in faith right now. And one day you're returning and all those things should inspire us to be joyful Christians. It flows out of us. What's inside will come out, and people will see our joy that can't be taken away if it's found in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. That last line, that's, that's joy right there. The man finds a treasure in the field and in his joy. 
he sells all that he has to buy that field. That's what it's when you come to know Christ. It's better than any other thing you could put your joy in. So are you a joy-filled person? Ask someone that this week, seriously. Ask them. Are you struggling to, to find joy? Perhaps it's because um, there's sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Psalm 51, where David is talking about the sin of his adultery. What's he ask God? He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Sin will rob you of joy, unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin. And how do you increase your joy? By increasing the object of your joy. If Jesus is really small in your life, if he's just an afterthought, you're not going to have a lot of joy. But if Jesus is big in your life, if he's everything, your joy will increase as he increases, even though you've never seen him before, just like these in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, speaking of Jesus, says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. Increasing Christ in your life is how you gain joy in him. Thanks for being with us this morning. It's a joy to, to worship with you. Looking forward to uh, going on a, a date tonight with my wife. Uh, if you have that, come here at 5 o'clock, drop them off. And I told my wife today, I said, listen, that hour and a half time frame that we have together, it's going to blow your mind. And I said, you just got to watch the kids because I'm picking up a tux at 2 o'clock, and then I'll come back and get you at 5, all right? No. We hope you have a good afternoon. Take advantage of that if you have kids and would love to bring them out tonight. It's been so good to be with you. I'll be down front if you'd love to chat, talk with your cell group leader if they're here, someone else you came with, and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks for being with us.